McGovern is well known to people all across Chelmsford as the co-founder of Cause Be Kind. The community project supports rough sleepers in the city and across the southeast. As the problem of homelessness has grown, so has the role the project has had to take on. In this episode, Brian explains how the project came to be what it is today, and he also tells us what motivated him to take action, as cities and towns across the UK face a similar issue with rough sleeping. He also explains why he believes society has failed, with people in the centre of Chelmsford having to resort to doorways in a bid for shelter as they sleep out in the open. Brought to you by Essex Live, this is Humans of Chelmsford, and this is Brian McGovern's story. thanks so much for coming on to the podcast and, and telling us all about Call to Be Kind Chelmsford as well as your own dealings with homelessness and that sort of situation here in the city as well. Lots of stuff that we're going to go through and talk about in this episode, but we'll start off with Call to Be Kind itself, which you're a co-founder of. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll, my first question will be, how did it first come about and, and why was it that you felt you needed to start up something like that in order to change things? It started off literally as me and four of my mates in a pub and we were just saying, hang on a minute, there seems to be an awful lot of rough sleepers about. And that was about five years ago. And uh, so um, we looked into a few things and we spoke to the local authority and we spoke to groups like Sanctus and Chess and we realised that there was a, a, a massive gap um, for people, particularly with mental health issues, and uh, addiction problems that couldn't access services. Um, so we felt that we wanted to do something about it. And then Marion, one of my friends, said, the Rucksack Project, um, which was a national movement at the time, is something really practical. So we that was the route we wanted to go down because we're not handling cash. We didn't have to register as a charity. So we've done that. And I think in our first year, we got about 330 full rucksacks um, donated by members of the public, which we were able to distribute throughout Essex. Um, And then we've done that ever since. But after two or three years of, of, of doing that, we didn't want to be identified just by one project throughout the year. So subsequently, um, my daughter was doing a dissertation at the time for her degree in fashion marketing and communication and um, to my surprise she called it Call to be Kind and it was about how the fashion industry was using um, social media and their message um, about kindness um, because corporate responsibility seems to be quite a, a, a buzz at the moment. So she got a first, and subsequently uh, I thought, if it's good enough for a first, then I'll, I'll have that. And the guys agreed, and we became Court Will Be Kind. And we felt we had to take action simply because um, no one else is looking after the rough sleepers you see in doorways. And that's pretty much the story. Um, it's something we've talked about a fair few times on this podcast before is the homelessness situation yep. in Chelmsford. Um, bearing in mind how that situation has progressed, how would you sum up the homelessness situation in the city to someone who maybe isn't from here or maybe 
doesn't really know? Well, initially, when we first started doing outreach, there was probably, and this probably four years ago, five years ago maybe, uh, there was probably about 15, 16 people that we were seeing on a regular basis. We now estimate it's around 50 people. So, and the and that's just in the city centre. Just in the city centre, um, and uh, as I walked up to here today, so uh, from the bottom of Molsham Street to here, I saw seven rough sleepers, which I, I know, um, and that's without looking for them. And I know others are uh, out and about. Uh, so it has increased dramatically, and the figures from Crisis and Shelter back that up. And the, the statistics that the uh, government put out of 4,000, I think it's 4,751 um, rough sleepers in the whole of the UK is based upon a snapshot of one night where one official goes out in a very limited area and counts people. Um, and I think last in Chelmsford it was 14 rough sleepers, which of course is total fiction. Uh, and the response from the previous administration was, well, we know that's the case, that there are more rough sleepers. So it doesn't seem a particularly reliable or even realistic. Well, what's the point? Because if we don't know the true extent of the problem, how are we ever going to fix it? Is, is there a particular um, unique problem in Chelmsford compared to other parts of the country based on what you've seen because obviously you have a lot more I suppose engagement than say those officials who do have that one snapshot on a particular night well I mean we do a head count every week because we do uh, regular outreach um, and a lot of these people um, we've known for a number of years and we know where they're likely to be and what their habits are and this this that and the other um, so uh, thankfully the new council administration have asked for our help, and we um, took part in the first ever Rough Sleepers workshop. I think there was about 25 um, organisations, including Essex Police, um, Sanctus, Chess, um, and various other organisations. And as a result of that, finally, we're, we're pulling together. Across the country, we've seen these numbers get bigger, even if it is just those snapshot numbers. Yeah, They're all everywhere it seems to be on the rise can we pinpoint a reason as to why that situation has has gone the way it has and that we're here today and seeing so many people on the street um there's a one word answer to that and that would be austerity um in real terms since 2012 i think there's been um 600 million pounds reduction in mental health services. I, I was watching a news report this morning where they're telling me um, that there's so many vacancies for psychiatrists and people who can support people with issues. Um, so we have this rhetoric. Um, James Brockenshire announced quite recently that 100 million pounds are being spent on housing services. That's a drop in the ocean quite frankly in comparison just to what they've done to mental health however um, with the austerity that we have um, with the reduction in mental health services with the reduction of housing services council housing stock has been sold off um, 
and it's payback time, I'm afraid. This is not rocket science. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do, but we believe in a policy called Housing First, which has been proven to work in, in places like Finland and Canada, and we've piloted it five times in, in the UK, um, and again, it's proven to work. And in the medium term, it's actually far cheaper to deal with uh, people with addiction problems by getting them in houses first, rather than dealing with the consequence of not, i.e. crime, i.e. Uh, health services, this, that and the other. Um, however, in reality, there's not enough houses. So £100 million doesn't even touch the surface. If you spread that across the UK, uh, how many houses does that build and where are they going to go? And then you're going to have NIMBY saying, I don't want social housing in my, on my nice estate. Um, so it's, it, it, it's not an easy issue to solve. However, it's not insurmountable. It's that the housing numbers has often been mentioned as a, as a problem, but I, dealing with and speaking to some of the people who've been in a homelessness situation or rough sleeping themselves, um, and a lot of them do seem to have mental health issues mm-hmm. as, as a real uh, caveat or catalyst, if you like, mm-hmm. for that. Um, and is it probably a neglect of mental health services that has helped contribute to that as well? Because it is so much harder, I suppose, to deal with an addiction mm-hmm. if you are out on the street in a vulnerable position, yeah. first and foremost. Well, that's what Housing First is all about. And so these people are left on the street and then they get involved in criminality and they're quite likely to be... Um, abuse themselves, attacked or whatever it may well be um, and on it goes and then they come into contact with other addicts and dealers and this sort of stuff Housing First Principle works the other way round whereby you put these people in housing and then you offer a wraparound support so whether that's making sure that their bills are being paid and making sure that they attend appointments Simple stuff that you and I would take for granted. The, s- the structure of everyday life, yeah. if you like. And, and, and supporting them through it. So it's quite intensive. But the reality of it is, is it's better for these people. It's proven to be far more successful than what we're currently operating with. And it goes on um, that, that it's, it's cheaper for the nation. So it makes perfect sense, but it needs political will, and that comes from a national level. So there needs to be a huge investment in in social housing. Um, One of my um, pet hates is the word affordable housing, or the words, should I say, affordable housing, because the majority of affordable housing is shared ownership or uh, help to buy, that sort of stuff. For the likes of some of the guys that you and I have met over the years, that's totally not unrealistic. What they need... Housing is a right. It shouldn't be a privilege or a reward for behaving yourself. But, so, and what we're operating at the moment is, is quite, the, quite, quite the opposite. So you behave yourself, you not be a heroin addict, and we'll, we'll, we'll put you in a house maybe. It's not realistic. And, and I kind of mentioned that and bring it back to a local level. Yep. Rob O'Connor's death in February 2018 now. Um, so we're a year and a half on from that incident where he was a rough sleeper and mm-hmm. did sadly pass away. 
yep. um, during a freezing cold night as well. Yep. Did that serve as a wake-up call to people in the city, or is it? Did it start off as a boost, and has it sort of diminished a bit? Well, yeah, it's interesting you say that. And immediately after Rob's death, and I knew Rob not particularly well, but I did know him, um, and I was privileged enough to hold a vigil for him. Um, and in the in the short term, yes, it was a wake-up call. But, however, a lot of the people, including the guy that was sharing the doorway that night and found him dead, um, are still on the streets. So, whilst there's this outpouring of grief initially, um, that dwindles. And we've had a mild summer, uh, we've had a mild winter last year, and I was honestly fearful. If we had a bad winter last year, I knew of three or four people who were on the streets that I was generally thought that they'd lose their life. Um, so, yeah, again, it's about rhetoric. It's about action. But then here we are in October now. Yeah. Winter's approaching again. Does that same fear come in for, for people like you? Absolutely. And um, I talk to um, a lot of my colleagues at Call to Be Kind and we work closely with Help the Homeless Chelmsford and they've got genuine concerns for some of the guys that that we know. Um, so there does need to be more beds. There doesn't need to be beds without conditionality. Do people often forget that there are real people behind homelessness stats as well? Because I mean, you can you can be that person and just you know gun down the high street with your blinkers on mm-hmm. and probably forget mm-hmm. that there are individual stories behind every single number yeah and I think probably five years ago I was probably guilty of that as well um, and um, it's only through getting to know these people uh, on a personal level um, and they are people they're not just rough sleepers or rubbish they're people and some of the people I've met have been incredibly talented um, uh, incredibly articulate and bright. I've had concert pianists, I've had um, TV news reporters, um, I've had a professional golfer. All of these people have real stories and then they've fallen on hard times, bad luck, bad decisions, whatever it may well be. Um, one of the things that Call to Be Kind is really keen to promote is to understand that these are actually real people as opposed to rubbish. So I think a lot of people are getting that, but there are also people that fall out of fall out of a pub on a on a Saturday night and think it's funny to go and abuse a rough sleeper. And I hear about that nearly every week, where people have been urinated upon, people have been spat at, people have been kicked or punched or whatever, simply because they're a rough sleeper. And the the rubbish line that you use there as well is one that I've heard rough sleepers say how they feel when yeah. people treat them yeah. that way as and well. And it doesn't help because. Um, the language that is often used by people in power is um, almost demonising people. So there is this do not feed the pigeons attitude, um, which almost legitimises people's behaviour towards rough sleepers and why they get the abuse they do. Um, beggars operate, operate like they're a white lightning mafia or something. Um, operate in this area for God's sake 
they're trying to get enough to um, feed themselves. You know, these are not inherently bad people. Very often, these people are the people that have been let down by society back to their childhood. There's a disproportionate amount of people that I speak to who have come out of the care system. And then they come out and at a certain age, they're left despite the fact that they've been through early trauma or whatever. Then there'll be other people who have been in violent relationships and their only escape has been to go to the streets. So that's not... Um, but ultimately, they're the same as you, you and I. I've, I'm lucky enough to have the support of a great family and I've got lots of good friends. But some of these people have none of that. So what do you do when you, when you fall out of luck? Yeah, when your safety net's been taken away, essentially. Yeah, and um, one of the sad things about it is, and I've known this to happen on more than one occasion, is whereby people are displaced deliberately by a local authority. So they will actually pay a train fare or a bus fare or a taxi to take them out of one um, uh, council area and put them in another. On that note then, and considering how much Call to Be Kind has grown in the relatively short time span, I suppose, it's actually been going, do you almost inherently feel an extra sense of responsibility on your shoulders and the outreach workers' um, workers' shoulders as well? Um, We never imagined when we set up the Rucksack Project and then indeed Call to Be Kind that we would be getting involved to the level we are. So now we're talking to leader, leaders of councils, we're talking to a local MP. Uh, we're lobbying hard. We get a lot of media attention. That was never our intention. We just wanted to go out and help a few guys out. But we soon realised that we were actually quite good at raising issues and highlighting issues and making things better for people. Not one of us has ever taken a penny out of court. Because I think I paid for a £60 for a, a a ticket to go to Bristol last year uh, to go and uh, look at a project down there. But we don't have any premises. Um, we do this out of a want, and, and we feel it's necessary. Of course, personally, I feel a huge amount of responsibility because I've got some really good relationships with these guys, and I understand their problems far more than I did two, three, four years ago. Um, so, it, yeah, it runs me bloody rapid. <laughs> well, I can imagine that because you're, you're personally invested in, in these people course, and then they're not just homeless people. Um, but then I suppose when you do say some, or see someone getting into a house or getting themselves better in one way or another, that mm-hmm. must also be equally rewarding for the endless hours, the amount of work that you, that you have been doing as a group. Um, it is rewarding. My, my fear is, is that without the correct support, very often those people will lose the house they were, they were put into. So that again goes back to the housing first model. Uh, and as we record this, um, we're, what, three days away from World Homeless Day. Yeah. How important a day is that for raising awareness? And do we need more days like that where we do constantly push the issue in front of people's faces and eyes? and talk about what we need to do to try and solve this problem or at least make it better? Um, 
World Homeless Day um, is incredibly important. We um, live in a westernised society, which is one of the wealthiest on the planet, yet we're prepared to see people who are, are cold, who are hungry and sick on our streets, and we, yet we walk past them. Why isn't an ambulance coming along and picking these up and taking them somewhere safe, warm and dry? It's, we've got the budget. If we want to invade a country, funny enough, we find millions and billions of pounds to do that. So why can't we deal with this issue? If there was a village in Essex that was washed out with 15,000, 20,000 people that were displaced... I'm pretty sure the government would be able to find the money somehow to help that situation out. Yet we're not, we're being told that the current government are going to solve homelessness, rough sleeping, by 2027. I've taken that with a very large piece of, uh, pinch of salt, quite frankly. Um, but why would it take that period of time when we could do it tomorrow? Albeit, I'm not saying it's simple, but it's doable. It's not beyond the wit of man. And I, th- I think back to the statistics last year as well about the, the amount of people that had now died on the streets across the country. I think in 2018 there'd been 10 recorded in Essex. Mm. But of course, those are the ones we, we know about and have mm. noticed. Um, and I remember, I think, a quote from you at the time when I spoke to you about it. And you said it was the amount of people that had died was leveled to uh, a national tragedy. Mm-hmm. or a national disaster mm-hmm. yet for some reason that was bypassing everyone's attention whereas if it had been uh, a hurricane or something mm-hmm. somewhere well, else crash or anything like that yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know how how this is being missed by the media as a whole um, I, I guess there's a lot of other news items going on at the moment as we all know but um, it was revealed this I think last week that um, nearly 800 deaths on our streets that we know about. I mean, that's, that's nearly three a day. Three people a day are dying unnecessarily. Yet, we ignore it. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we've spoken a lot about the housing first model and things like that, but are there short-term fixes that we can implement now that might make the situation better or should we be focusing long-term solutions and I suppose bulking up the housing numbers that don't seem to be there right now well I mean the uh, locally what there needs to be is wet and dry safety so if you are um, suffering from addiction problems there should be somewhere safe you can go in the winter um, so there needs to be beds for that. Um, chess provider service, they need, they need more beds. So that's a short-term solution. But there are projects going on throughout the UK, such as the one I visited in Bristol with Jasper Thompson, um, whereby they're looking at innovative solutions, such as the modular homes that are built out of um, shipping containers. And we had the double-decker bus that they've got as well, yeah. which they converted. Absolutely, and there's buses all over the UK now. Um, so that's the short-term stuff. So we don't have another unnecessary death in Chelmsford. But on the long term, yeah, we need more houses. But that's going to take time. Now, we're, we're, we're 
advising the council on rough sleeping policy. There's currently the um, review strategy on rough sleeping that we consulted on, um, and that will become legislation unless there's a major change. Um, and we, the, the council um, now do seem to have um, a lot more will to um, commit stuff to them but they can only rely on funding from central government so it needs to come from the top down um, and one last question as well um, before I wrap this up um, and that's about Call to Be Kind itself and its work in the in Chelmsford how do you see the charity if, if even, even if it is a charity now because it's, not, it's, it's charity. not a charity is it but no. we always refer to it as one yeah. because it's essentially become one where do you see it going in the next next while or is well, the dream I suppose to see its responsibility dwindle well first of all we're an uh, incorporated community project um, we chose not to go down the route of uh, charity because there's an awful lot of red tape involved in that and expense in order because then you've got to do various things and also it limits your activity in terms of what you can and can't say um, we're very free to criticise whoever we like at the moment. The moment we become a charity, we're, we're limited on that. Um, where do we see ourselves going? Um, well, it's been a bit of a roller coaster over the last four years. Where we'll be in four years' time, five years' time, who knows? Um, our main intention is not to exist. But the only time that will happen is when... Um, we eradicate rough sleeping in the UK. Until that point, we'll carry on doing what we're doing and we've got projects going on all over the place um, and there's a million and one things that we're doing and ideas that we have. Um, we would like, possibly, to be able to share that it, with other towns and cities in the UK. So there might be a, a, a call to be kind one day in Bristol or Birmingham or Brighton or wh wherever so we can share ideas and encourage people to act kindly. And I suppose on personal responsibility as well, you being thrust in front of the media a lot of the time, mm -hmm. did you ever envisage that happening when <laughs> you first set out, talking to people like me? No, I didn't. Um, and it's been quite a wild journey, to be totally honest. And, you know, I've been privileged enough to get support from the likes of Jonathan Pye, um, Attila the stockbroker um, and I've spoken in front of five or six hundred people at various events and this that and the other well on the, you've, you've perf chosen a perfect way to end that <laughs> um, and, but again it's a testament to the work that the that Calls Be Kind is doing um, that it does get rec the recognition uh, as it mm -hmm. has and of course the Panic Awards was a the recent Panic Awards was an example of that because yeah. that was the uh, the fundraiser that they'd chosen for mm -hmm. that night and um, mm -hmm. so it just kind of shows the work that is going into Chelmsford and trying to improve the situation of so many people who have fallen well, on hard times um, the Panic Awards was, was a fun event and we really enjoyed doing that and they raised quite a few quid for us and of course I had the benefit of um, or the privilege of, of giving young Jacob, our child ambassador, um, his award for his outstanding work with the community. The Panic Awards now are making the Call to Be Kind Community Spirit Award an annual thing. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's nuts. I mean, I know a lot of um, 
people within the arts and what have you, just through being enchanted all my life and hanging about the wrong crowd. But, um, <laughs> but um, they've been, and, and that's very much at the key of, um, or at the core of, of what Courtby Card was built on, is using fantastic musicians and comedians and, and all of that and, and the um, artistic community of Chelmsford have really got behind Court will be kind and we wouldn't be anywhere near where we are without that and we do we do regular music events at Chelmsford City Football Club for example or at the United Brethren Pub um, I've got very good at blagging stuff so and, and finding a way into an organisation or whatever um, because we've had to, because we didn't have any money. But we're now looking at the Locker Project, and I think I've spoken to you about that before. And um, we're working with uh, the local council. We've got a potential site. I can't say too much at this point, because we need to go through a planning process, etc., which is a bit of a nuisance. But if that is pulled off, that will be the first in the UK. With someone, it's not ideal because ideally you'd like to give them a home, but at least they've got somewhere to put their stuff overnight or during the day. So the advantage of that is not only does it keep their stuff safe, we will be engaging with them and there will be some conditions attached to that, i.e. you can't store any drugs in there. And then from the council's point of view, or certainly for the likes of Bond Street where we're sitting here today they don't have rucksacks littering their, their shiny stores so it's a win-win for everyone and hopefully that will be the step from street to locker to, hi- uh, to housing exactly and hopefully it's the, the start like you say to yeah. a, a great end result um, and with that I'll, I'll bring this particular podcast episode to an end mm. before I go um, if people wanted to get involved with Call to Be Kind, where can they find out more information? Where should they go? Right, you can either go to our website, which is uh, uk, or you can visit our Facebook page. Um, if you message us, we tend to be very responsive and we'll get in touch. We, we, we have an education program now. So we have my former history teacher, who I think you met actually, didn't you, Howard? Oh, I did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Howie, um, who goes into schools on a regular basis, um, and he talks about rough sleeping and the dangers of that and drugs and alcohol and all those things um, to kids. And funny enough, the kids get it. The, the older people sometimes can be quite cynical because they... They think, oh no, you must have a Porsche around the corner or whatever. The kids just go, this is wrong. So we do that on a regular basis. So if if anyone wants us to go into their school, give an assembly, we'll happily do that. I'm often asked to meet with young people and talk to them and, and explain what's what and how they can get involved. And they get so much energy out of it. And it's, of course, it's educating people for the future generation as well. Exactly. Plenty of worthwhile causes there. And lastly, thank you, Brian, for coming on to the podcast. It's been my pleasure. And, it's uh, good to see you. Exactly. And telling us about your story uh, and about Calls Be Kind um, in long form. 
on a podcast. So <laughs> very long, exactly thirty-five minutes. Yeah. So thanks so much, and uh, we look forward to seeing what you do next. Great. Thanks. big thank you to Brian for taking the time out to speak with us on this episode. You can find a link to Call to Be Kind in the show notes. Humans of Chelmsford is available on the Essex Live website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. And don't forget you can follow the show on social media. We'll be back next week with the third episode of the current series. Make sure you join us then.